Mobile adoption in Asia-Pacific is more widespread than in other parts of the world. But what unique and similar security challenges are mobile carriers, banking institutions, and others in this market facing? And what can Western organizations learn from them? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm here today with Tom Wills, an independent financial fraud and security consultant in Singapore who sheds light on emerging mobile trends and other cybersecurity threats. Tom, you and I have been talking this afternoon about some of the unique aspects of the Asia-Pacific region. Would you say that the mobile market in Asia is much more advanced in the U.S. primarily because of adoption, or is there more at play here? There's more at play, Tracy, absolutely. And, and uh, the mobile market in Asia, just like the, the, the market itself in Asia, is a, is, is a complex thing to describe. And let me just break that down for you a little bit. Asia itself, if you just want to talk about Asia-Pacific, uh, which would be Southeast Asia, where we are now, as well as East Asia, as well as uh, the Indian subcontinent, and Australia and New Zealand. We're talking about 24 different countries. And you have the whole gamut of economic development in those 24 different countries in that region, uh, from Australia and New Zealand, which have a profile that's similar to the United States, uh, to China and India, which together have uh, a third of the world's population and uh, very unique technology and, and financial services environments, to countries like uh, Singapore, Singapore here and uh, Hong Kong and Korea and Japan, which are indeed very advanced technologically uh, when we're talking about payments. So uh, really the, the answer is going to vary depending on the country that we're talking about. And when we say we like to talk about how uh, technology is advanced with respect to payments in Asia, uh, really when we say that we're talking about a few countries. We're talking about uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, and Korea. And why is that? It's because the smartphone penetration in those countries is very, very high. Uh, compared to other countries in Asia, at the opposite extreme, we could be looking at Bangladesh or, or Laos or Cambodia, where smartphone penetration is maybe only about 5 or 6%. And the, the technology environment is different in those two different types of uh, countries. So, Tom, would you say that there are unique cyber risks then that threaten some of these different markets here in Asia that we don't see threatening markets in the Western world? If we divide the world into the, the smartphone environment versus the, the legacy phone environment, so legacy phones would be your, your Nokia candy bar types of phones that, uh, that handle GSM, but they're not necessarily on the Internet. Uh, yes, it is different. And the threat environment that we see with smartphone countries like Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, and Taiwan is very similar to what's in the U.S., because they're, they're basically running on the same types of technology platforms. And so uh, there, there are only four or five different technology platforms out there. And so the security issues that are faced by, by those are going to be very, very similar. So in the more advanced countries, uh, the types of threats that are going on are very, very similar to what we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, Trojan-based attacks on online banking uh, and things of that nature. When we get in, into the more developing countries in Asia, so Indonesia, Cambodia, uh, Bangladesh, and so on, where the financial services are running on a more legacy phone environments. Surprisingly enough, we, we don't see as much fraud and, and as many hacking attacks in that environment. Uh, I would expect to see a different, but it hasn't evolved that way. It's, it, it seems to be uh, a safer environment in many respects. And so looking at mobile risks specifically in Asia-Pacific, Tom, over the last 12 months, what steps would you say that banking institutions here are taking to address some of these emerging risks that you've talked about? 
Again, very similar to what's emerging in the U.S. So uh, your Trojan-based attacks on online banking are probably the biggest threats, and banks are having to react here in exactly the same manner as they are in the U.S. or in Europe or anywhere else. Um, so, so you have these variants of the Zeus Trojan. You have uh, drive-by attacks or phishing attacks where the Trojan, the malware, is downloaded onto the user's device, whether that be the mobile or the PC, and you have different forms of authentication that are being compromised. And that's probably the biggest concern right now, and that has multiplied a lot here in these more advanced markets over the last 12 to 18 months. Um, the other thing that we've seen in parallel with the U.S. again is an explosion of malware on the Android platform. Um, and and it's, it's very, very parallel with the experience in the U.S., in fact. What about mobile payments? How have they evolved, and are the threat risks there greater than they were 12 to 18 months ago in Asia-Pacific? Again, we can split mobile payments into the smartphone world and the, and the legacy payment world. So in the smartphone world and the, in the more advanced countries in Asia, I would say you know there, there's been a big push to introducing EMV in countries like Singapore, Australia, and New Zealand, and that has had the predictable effect, just like it had in the European markets, of reducing certain types of fraud at the point of sale. So card counterfeiting, magnetic stripe skimming has been uh, reduced because of those initiatives that have been going on, where uh, online card fraud, uh, card not present fraud, has actually gone up in, in most of these markets. So that's something that we can definitely point to. I'm glad that you brought up EMV because I did have a question about EMV. And I'm curious to know, Tom, why is adoption within Asia so varied when it comes to EMV? It's because of the variation in the specific markets themselves that I was talking about in in the introductory comments. And so uh, you have countries like China and Japan, a third of the world's population together, rapidly growing infrastructure but not really highly developed yet, and uh, a lot of people still not in the banking system in those markets. You have countries like Singapore and Hong Kong and, and Taiwan, which have a very robust and modern banking system and financial system. You have others that are in between, like Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand, and so on. And so that's, that's where the variation comes from. You have different population densities, and you have different cultures with respect to how people want to buy and pay for things. And that's a big factor as well. So as far as EMV specifically goes, you're going to see quicker adoption in countries that already have a very robust and mature uh, card payments and infrastructure. You're not going to see it as quickly in countries that don't. Uh, If you go to uh, Bangladesh or Laos or Cambodia, only a very small portion of the population are even using credit and debit cards in this way. And that's why. And so... What about PCI? If we're looking at payments, and you've talked about how different some of these types of mobile payments are, how does PCI come into play, and is there a big push within Asia and Asia-Pacific overall to get banks to consider outlining more PCI adoption into their mobile payment schemes? So growth of PCI can be directly correlated to the growth of e-commerce and so-called Carnot present transactions, and that transaction mode has somewhat lower adoption in even the mature Asian uh, markets than it does in the United States and in Europe. And because of that, PCI has been slower to sort of take hold in this region than it has in Europe. And and, uh, the PCI Standards Council is very active here. They speak at conferences and they've held workshops around here. But I find that they're more in education mode at this point of trying to educate the market uh, about what PCI is, what the requirements are, uh, why one should embrace PCI. Whereas if you're in the States or in Europe right now, it's really more about um, getting it implemented and, and even taking more enforcement 
measures. So Asia as a group of countries is somewhat behind Europe and the U.S. in that respect. And then finally, Tom, before we close, what lessons could Western institutions and organizations touching the payment space, for that matter, learn from Asia-Pacific? Especially with respect to security. Um, I found that financial institutions here are very willing to embrace security and to get their consumers involved in securing their own financial assets. And I found that they're they're willing to experiment and try different ways and and sort of see see what sticks. And I think that would be a good takeaway for uh, U.S. financial institutions as well, is to not worry about trying new things. I have uh, a bank account with my retail bank here in Singapore, and they must have introduced five or six different security mechanisms in the online banking and the the mobile banking service that they have. And sometimes they'll they'll find that they don't work all that well, and they'll they'll take them away, and they'll try something new. And that is a a wise way to do it, I think, given that the threat environment is, is evolving so fast, and the technology environment is evolving so fast as well. Tom, I want to thank you for your time today. My pleasure, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Tom Wells. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.